Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MTG Place Podcast. I'm your host, Corey, and with me, like always, is James. How's it going, James? Hey, I'm doing good over here. And uh, with us today, we got Draft and Drafts. Corey, how are you doing? I am delightful, delicious, to lovely to thank you. <laughs> uh, before we jump into our main topic here, we're going to plug a couple sponsors. Uh, so the first one here is Zencaster. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing all the technical know-how. Records each guest locally and then uploads crystal clear audio and video right into the suite so you have high-quality raw materials to work with. If you're interested in signing up for Zencaster Premium, use offer code zen.ai slash the MTG place for 30% off. And then the second way you can support us is by using our TCG Player affiliate link that is in the show notes that is also on our website, mtgplace.net. Uh, just click the link. Uh, you know you're probably going to buy some magic cards anyway, so might as well uh, use the link when you do so. And finally, the last way you can support us is directly on Patreon. You can sign up over there for as little as a dollar. And uh, me and James will send you some cards in the mail, and there's a bunch of other cool perks you can get. Man, I love perks. All right, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? That's why we do this shit, right? <laughs> uh, I'm in it for the perks, man. Listen. And then... Uh, perks. Yeah, all the perks. <laughs> All the uh, the main topic here is uh, we're going to talk about drafting today. Obviously, your tag is draft and draft, so I'm assuming you draft a lot. I, I've been known to do a few in my time. <laughs> uh, what uh, What's your t- overall background in Magic? Have you been playing a long time? Yeah, I, I actually started back in uh, the days of Scourge. So back when the old border used to be just the border. Uh, I, I am a magic boomer, so for those who are like, oh, look at all these cool retro frame cards uh, in Bro War. Oh, man, that's such a cool design. No, that was just magic for me back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's how it was when I started, too. Yeah. We, we were a little later than that, but not by yeah, all. Yeah, it, like, it was like that or the white border, oh, which was yeah. terrible. This is like, oh, Ace Edition? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> yeah, that, that's when they had the white borders. And, and then sad. And then your magical black bordered foil cards? Oh, man. Tell me. Like, yeah, like, you, like, you wanted your multiplier and your foils. Like, that's where it was at, man. Get that black bordered foil Birds of Paradise. I'm in it. Oh, yeah. That was a yeah. big deal. <laughs> they were all foil. Or all, all black bordered. All the foils are black bordered. That was the only way you could get them back then. It's true. And uh, we, we, we don't even need numbers on our card art. We, we just want the black border, y'all. That's where we're at. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like anybody, you know, you go through your reps. You know, you have your first decks, zombies, and Dawn Elemental plus Pariah, and you feel so clever. Get to college. Find your college group friends. Just so happened that most people came together and was drafting. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to learn this format. Uh, and then it, I just it started to click, and you find your your core group of of magic friends. Uh, I remember Mia and a bunch of people from Minneapolis. Uh, that's where I got my college degree. Uh, we would be playing in our friend Bill's basement, and we call ourselves the BBC Bill's Basement Crew. And it, it we just like did <laughs> we did the circuit like we this is uh, again back before arena was a thing pre twenty twenty. You hit the road, you find your PTQs. And you grind. You you go to all the events 
and you try to get there. Like it, it was like memories that I, I'll always remember, like driving a car, splitting expenses, who's sleeping on the ground of the hotel. That's how you figure it out. Or you just snap off a trip to Austin, Texas to go to the Innistrad GP because that's one of the best limited formats of all time. And you drive from Minneapolis to Austin, you get no sleep, but it's great. Uh, you know, it's just where the things came from. And uh, I just, I had a, a really wonderful time back in the day, still do. Uh, I was, I've been able to day two a few GPs, going to uh, Vegas a few times. It's just, it, it's the format to me that is, it is the best magic format, drafting. Uh, and I'll always like, I'll always ride or die it. Because to me, it's it's like jazz. Adapting to a flow, figuring out the notes as you go. But jazz isn't just constructed by playing random notes on a music instrument. The best thing is like the work you put into the research ahead of time is what yields fruits. It, it's got a high barrier of entry, but the barrier of entry is more about the learning and the education. And that's like really what, what attaches me to it. So I, I guess that's my... Right, yeah, it's not... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like go buy, you know, a $300 deck just to play standard. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like just you, buy you, a few you, packs. You just look up the deck list and be like, oh, which one's top three this time? Hmm, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose this this deck list <laughs> and spend three hundred dollars on it. Yeah, exactly. And then Sander rotates and you're like, good investment, friends. And that's that Yeah, like Well <laughs> Yeah, whereas for drafting, it's like, oh, new sets out, sweet, new new stuff to draft. New stuff, yeah, exactly. And it's it's your back door into trying these new archetypes that Watsu would come out with. Which to me is maybe like one of the more appealing yep. things of so many formats rotating so quickly. Like right now, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of content, and I get it. It's probably a lot to keep up with. I kind of love the sense of still discovering a card that's been printed for a few years. You're like, what that card? Oh my god, I didn't even know. And yeah, there's like a bunch of new like products and, and box toppers and commander products, but then commander side products and buy and things and collector boosters and all that. But the exploration part of it is, I think, the most appealing part to me in the long run. So you know what? Ta- like ta- tip of the hat to all those content creators like ourselves here who try to keep up with the right. the tons of content and it, truthfully that that discovery is is magical for sure. So uh, some of our listeners are been playing Magic a long time. Some have not. Some of our most popular episodes are the how to uh, like play Magic videos. So they're just getting into it. Uh, so we're going to start out with some easy stuff here. So, like, what is if you had to describe drafting? How what is drafting? How does it work? Well, we'll start off with with the simplest statement, and that is that draft is the best format in Magic. That's that's where we're starting it. But let's let's <laughs> let's dive in a little bit. <laughs> so, draft is a format part of a larger encompassing thing called limited. Limited means that you're building essentially. It's a different bunch of different types and kinds, be it Rochester, Sealed, which you find at your typical pre-release, opening six packs, building a deck. But but Draft is something completely different, where you need a group of typically eight people is the number. And you uh, open a pack and you start by taking singleton cards out of the pack and then passing your pack along in a leftwise or, or as it were, a, a clockwise motion. Uh, you then take the next uh, pack that was passed to you from the person to your right, you pick a card, and you keep going through. You do three packs in a row. You go left, right, left in the pass motion. You're taking these picks. You're sending signals. You're getting this pool of 45 cards so you can instruct a 40-card deck. Uh, using an unlimited amount of basic lands at your disposal, you try to create a, 
a smaller ecosystem of cards like than a 60 card format or say a commander 100 card format to create a deck it's it's like i said before it's that feeling of jazz of adapting on the fly and trying to see not just what you open but also seeing the things that the people around you are passing it's very easy to see the big splashy angel uh but it's a lot harder to see that well maybe that white angel that you're getting past won't end up being what you play because of the best cards that are being passed to you. Yeah, yep. yep. And uh, ideal drafting deck ratio, you know, when you're deck building is usually what, like 15 creatures or so? Yeah, ratios are are very interesting kind of heuristic or rule of thumb to start off with. But if you're looking at like the scope of a pretty basic, like I want creatures and I want spells to support them, 15 is a pretty good number. You're looking at like four to, to six instants and sorceries, a few bits of like maybe card draw. So uh, a good chunk of removal you want in there. Of course, cards that interact with your opponent's board uh, to get things off the battlefield. Uh, you know, I'm one of many limited content creators out there. Uh, for those who are newer to the game and you're interested in this format, you definitely want to look at other great people like say uh, the podcast, Limited Resources, Lords of Limited, Limited Edition, two guys that I met uh, at, a, at a, uh, a GP once. They put a, a lot of like conscious thought into it. It's very, very much, like I said before, a format about research, learning your card pools, and how things come together. Uh, and especially in that sense, you'll learn over time that a, a ratio of, like, say, 15 creatures, it's great. It doesn't happen maybe the way you want it to all the times. Sometimes you want to go more. Sometimes you want to go less <laughs> based on the archetypes that you see. It's, it's why, I, like, right now I'm just so excited right. because... We're hitting the tip of an iceberg that's a larger conversation, not just about we're going to hit these numbers, but rather how are we going to build towards making a deck in a small amount of time? Ooh, I got chills. Did you guys get chills? Oh, my, son. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Limited, too, and I watch every episode of Limited Resources, so I'm just like... Yeah, Corey, Corey's a big draft are, fan. Are great. I draft all the time. That's what I play on arenas, yeah. is draft, 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 so... It's a good way to get your pool or your uh, your library of cards up for sure. Yeah, and that's a yeah. And it, if you like, if you like fifty percent win rate too, it's like all right, draft. Now I got enough gems for the next draft. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you make your money back. And you're good to go. It's 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 a term, <laughs> a magical term called going infinite, where your draft propagates yeah. your next draft. And James, you brought up actually a really good point. And uh, you know, right now a lot of what we do is we talk around things like MTGA. A little bit of, you know, MTGO, but now that we're in a world where we can get back to our local game stores, uh, one thing you brought up, James, I thought that was really great is expanding your card pool. Especially for newer players, you can really jumpstart collections in a more fun way by drafting. By being able to, you know, see more cards, open them, play with them. And as you, you know, slowly get building up, you hit up your events, your like local game stores events, Friday Night Magic, or maybe drafting on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, store promos, you start to build up collection, which can support greater play. Typically, a commander play is a little bit better to kind of backdoor into it, but maybe I'm being a little biased because those are basically my only two formats. I mean, I guess I play standard, but only because what else am I going to do with the cards I get on Arena? I, I'm, I'm fairly cl- confident that... Right, yeah. I'm fairly confident at some point, y'all are going to have a, an MTG News segment that says... Uh, Wati just announced that standard is now a digital only format. I, I'll see the ticker on a future video for you guys. I was saying that. 
Hopefully someday they'll have modern on Arena. That would be amazing once they get the card yeah, pool. They're, like, they're trying to get what Pioneer right now. Getting Pioneer, floor, so floor they're is, is like they're getting there slowly. Pioneer slowly seems like a, yeah. Pioneer seems like a, a better better dream right now to achieve. Modern, you know, I I don't know. I have this this feeling that I'm afraid modern might go by the wayside of extended, just because of a myriad of different factors, but. I mean, modern is is the classic Bob, right? I mean, who who it was such a revolution. Like, I, I wish I wish for those newer. Oh, yeah. I wish some of the newer uh, Magic players just could know the value that when modern hit and just the big shakeup that it did. It was just like brand new space of exploration. It was it was awesome. I can remember when like literally every single PTQ main event was modern, like every single one mm. for a long time. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. Those were the days. Those were those were the days. Yeah, right. I remember when it was just you know standard and legacy because modern wasn't really a thing yet. Right. Yeah. Starting, like, Even before that. So. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're a bunch of boomers. <laughs> I can I can literally feel my knees right now giving out. <laughs> That's how. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for people too, so say you're trying to draft here. So what are some uh, strategies and tips you use? I mean, obviously, there's like the we should probably explain like the signpost on commons so people don't look for that. But yeah, <laughs> what, way to bring yeah. it up, Corey. Uh, yeah, signpost on commons are something that's relatively new in the ecosystem of limited. If you're looking at the whole lifespan of that format since it really began in Mirage, but uh, they came into play, I'd say, about uh, six, seven years ago, uh, where the designers they start to make these uncommon cards that really indicate what a color pair is intended to do inside of the limited environment. Uh, back in the day, I, I bet you guys can probably attest to this, uh, Corey and James, there used to be draft traps that were a lot more frequent, which were cards that it looks like it's something cool that you can do, but guess what? You really can't do it. <laughs> it it's, not a, it's not an achievable yeah. goal. Like a random, say, mill card in a format that has absolutely no mill as a, a main yep. strategy. And you're like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm going to find like five of them. I'm going to make it work. And I'll take some all. You're not going to make it work. Uh, so Watsi built this technology where they put a bunch of uncommons in the set that kind of indicates uh, what that color pair is intended to do. Uh, a good example in Brothers War would be Skyfisher Spider, the 3-3 with reach for two green black. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice a creature. If you do, you can destroy target non-land permanent. And then when it dies, uh, you can exile it, gain a bunch of life for a number of creatures in your graveyard. So this card is really interesting and unique in a couple different ways because it says, hey, we are actually touching a sacrifice strategy. So it's saying, you want disposable creatures. And I'm like, okay, great. So when I'm drafting, I think I probably want to pick up some things that I would be very happy to see either die or maybe is in consequence of a larger amount of value. Uh, of course, it's removal in destroying target non-land permanent. And then it also indicates that creatures in a graveyard matter. So if I open a pack and it's the first time I'm looking at a Brothers of War pack and I see this card, I'm like, ooh. So just by reading this one card and trusting that these signposts and commons are in the pack, it says, oh, I'm already looking at a series of strategies that are branching off of the text of this one card. So as I'm drafting my deck, I'm like, oh, I, okay, so maybe I want a little something to get things in the graveyard. Oh, look, I can play this mole and it mills me some. And then I start to build up some value and it kind of suddenly you get your deck together. It's truly a, a way for people who are first looking at the format to start to ascertain what are the best practices for drafting two color combinations. 
Now, while not every single set has the pure uh, signposts on commons, take, for example, Streets of New Capenna. You know, I bring up that limited format almost as though I'm like going to throw some some gas in the fire, which ended up not being the best of limited formats. Uh, <laughs> but the, these uncommons will kind of indicate to you where to go. But in the same sense, sometimes they're clever. I'm just going to harken back to one of my favorite limited formats in recent history, which was Throne of Eldraine. There was a series of uh, signposts uncommons that were uh, four hybrid pips. So it'd be like hybrid, blue, blue, black, hybrid, blue, black, hybrid, blue, black, hybrid, blue, black. And you're like, oh, this is what this color combination does. But it turns out that there was also monocolored strategies in the format. So it's a card that could be valuable in right there, three different archetypes. So when you're first jumping into your initial drafts and you're kind of dipping your toe in the format, if you look at uncommons and it looks like it's some kind of two color, what have you, and it's like being very clear that it's like a specific touching of a lot of different things, like say tokens or sacrificing synergies or whenever a something if is in the rule text, you can probably take that card and feel pretty reassured that that can slant you towards a functioning deck in the format. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I actually kind of liked uh, Nuka Pena a little bit, just the fact that you played a lot of three color decks. But there ended up only being like three decks that were any good, like three archetypes. The other ones are just like, okay, whatever, go. <laughs> yeah. So then it got you know really samey after a while. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, you you only you were guided kind of how you were able to draft, really. Yeah, it's like you have all these opportunities. No, you 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 don't. You just this is what you get to do. And it, it deal with it. It's a real shame <laughs> that you know the collective magic community never identified what problematic card was causing that inspiring overseer excuse me i just got a cat (laughs) i think i was a little allergic there for a second my apologies uh but but you know Corey, you also brought up another really fascinating point which kind of speaks to limited formats as well in a larger sense the reason why maybe we don't like a format such as switch new capenna is that the format itself you look at it there's a lot of three color cards and it's like oh look at all these cool three color cards But the best strategies ended up being not what the uncommon build arounds were telling us to do, which they happen to be like a number of three color uncommons throughout the set. But it wasn't the best thing to do. But say, for example, look at Brothers War. Uh, Not only do the two color combinations function, but also there's other built in like single color combination things and say decks with corrupt uh, is a good example. Even like. I love like doing a good Branchwood armor plus guys gift backup and just get them out of nowhere. Uh, It's what ends up making a format have longevity. So even though uh, for those dipping into their first drafts, you look at these uncommon signpost cards and you're like, this is the way to go. There potentially is other space to explore. And it really speaks to sometimes staying open for as long as possible. Yeah, that's definitely uh, what, especially with limited resources tweets, you know, especially in Brothers Wars, a lot of uh, artifacts, you know, if you want to start out the draft with four or five artifact cards, you still haven't committed to a color then, and you can go any direction, so, and just wait till, like, you know, a super bomby-ish card comes, go, okay, now I might try and commit to this. <laughs> most, yeah. most assuredly, and that also kind of resonates with what we just concluded with this weekend, which was... Uh, the Cube Arena Open, same thing, Marshall and LSV, the hosts on limited resources, uh, strongly encouraged the taking of 
cheap costing low mana commitment cards with say mind stones uh cold steel heart guardian idol to some extent uh as a way to keep yourself open so when you see cards are just completely just unbelievably good for you you can just really jump on it yep for sure um yeah and (laughs) That's always a thing that I always make. draft is is a is a format that I am not the greatest at, and um, that is kind of something that I I have to always like um, resist the urge. like if I get like a really good bomb, I'm like, oh, I gotta go with this color combination now, and then I get like nothing to support. I'm like, well, I guess I can't play that. <laughs> it's just like, ugh. so it's all about what you're given. One of my favorite uh, rule of thumbs to me is that pick one, pack one is perhaps the most overrated pick of the whole draft. It's very, like sometimes you get a card like, say, Pack Rats, which again, Magic Boomers will know exactly what I'm talking about. You will take that card and you will make that card work no matter what. But in a lot of situations, as much as you, you love that double pipped white card that you get, pick one, pack one, sometimes you got to let it go. You got to be like Elsa. You got to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it might be like, oh, I opened this really sweet rare, but it's like, well, okay, can I play it as just a one of and it's like try and splash for it, or do I just not play it because make my deck more consistent? Right. In a lot of cases, even if it is something, unless it's something that's like really good, like game winning, I'll try to fit it in. But yeah, otherwise, I'll usually just. If 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 I have something good going, like otherwise, I'll just leave it out. Yeah, because usually it's better. Right? And most of the time, it's not worth tanking your mana base for playing that card. But sometimes it is. Uh, but you know, you uh, yeah. as fellow Magic boomers, uh, I was kind of like toying around with something in my mind just now, and I, and I always kind of every once in a while it comes up in my mind, and maybe you guys can help me parse out this idea. But one thing about draft and limited in particular, there's so many different branching like points of choice uh of course you've got the deck building element uh, and then the gameplay element and i'm wondering there's i hear it said sometimes that limited is maybe the most unforgiving when it comes to gradient choices small little increments of advantage to try to put together a whole but then i think well maybe you know modern has the same and legacy has a lot of the same but uh speaking from my own perspective i know i'm not that well versed in those formats what do you guys think do you think limited is like one of the most unforgiving formats in like certain agency pick choices or play choices? Um, I think that it, there's some leeway in it. I mean, obviously, it depends on the how f- fast the format is too. Something like Brothers War, where you have to be doing something like every turn, I feel like you get punished if you just yeah you know make you make the wrong decision there. But uh, in in like a slower format, like, you know, everyone's like playing rampy big things. It's like, well, if I play my three drop and two drop here, is that going to be different than if I just jam this five bomb? Like, I mean, I think what my opinion is, so in Magic the Gathering, the mulligan step is by far the most like um, uh, game bending like decision that you can really make in the entire game, like if choosing whether to keep a hand or toss a hand and get another one, uh, is a big deal. But uh, in sealed or or um, 
limited, uh, that's kind of what the entire thing is. Hmm. Like, do you pick this card or do you pass it? And then once you finally get your card pool, it's like, okay, what do you create out of this? And then it's like the whole kind of thing is just really trying to figure out what you have and what, what works and what doesn't. Um, so I think, um, especially for someone who's newer to magic, yeah, it can be really intimidating. <laughs> oh, I love that you brought up the Mulligan situation because James Corey, can I tell you one of my biggest new level up moments in my life is mulliganing yeah. is never a detriment. Like I, I just uh, mentally, like, cause there's something about it. Like when you mulligan a hand, you naturally want to feel really bad. It's like, Oh man, I really just wish I could have drawn a seven card hand. Mm. You can't change that seven cards that you draw. You, you, you can't. So being able to mulligan is actually a good thing. It lets you play more games of magic. Of course, the mulligan rules have changed over time. But when I take a mulligan, I got to myself where mentally I said, you know what? I'm going to be happy that I'm mulliganing here because that means I now have another shot of trying to get back at it. It's very easy to be sad about going to six. But internally, when I say to myself, you know what? I'm gonna, I, I'm happy that I mulligan because now I'm looking at this card of the six card hand. I'm like, this is so much better than I'm sure the experience I would have had with the seven. And it really has helped me out quite a bit like in recent times. Yeah, especially if like the reason you're mulligan is you have no lance. It's like, well, I'm yeah, not going to try to pull my off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then or all lands, I've had that too. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, like when I get all lands or no lands and I see them like, you know what? This is a very easy mulligan. Thank you. Like it, it's just very reassuring. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm is. making a good yeah, choice right most, now. It's those- it's those 50-50 hands that it becomes hard. It's like, okay, do I try yeah, it or not try it? Ones. Um, yeah. so I tend to, like just to one mul- land short or something or one color off. You're just like, oh, I could almost do it and the combo would be really good. But it's just like, but if then if you don't draw it, you're just screwed. So it's Yeah, like- I tend to mulligan more when I'm on the draw because I know I'm going to be getting another card mm. back. Like I'm going to be drawing right away on the first turn. So I'm more likely to right. go down to six. Then if I'm starting, I might be like, okay, well, I have two lands and I could play thing on turn one and two. I'll probably keep it. Like, even though the rest is three drops. Like, can, I, can I give you guys one of my biggest clench moments of the weekend when it comes to mulligans? This was, <laughs> this was a moment. So me and my friend, we were on Zoom. We're in day two of the Arena Open. And I think we were like, we, we got game one, game th- uh, two we lost. We're in game three. We draw our seven. It was like, okay, easy mulligan. We draw another, and it's it's six cards, no lands. But in the hand is a bushwhack, the one mana green sorcery from Bro War, where you can search a land or fight something. Mm-hmm. And we had once upon a time, and we were on the draw, and we're like... <laughs> we're, and also, justifiably, we had an Esper Sentinel in our hand as well. And I'm like, I know we're playing against a spells deck too. This Esper Sentinel is one of our, our best cards in our deck. This, this hand must be better than a mold of five. We kept it, justified, went to win the game, felt real good. Felt real good. And that, that's just, that's a, it's a good example of also deck construction, right? Like building your deck right. When you get like cards, like say a Bushwhack or Once Upon a Time, it helps you really think about how many lands you can have in the deck. Because often, we were talking about heuristics not too long ago, 17 lands is the number that people play at in their 40-card deck, which also has an entire website based off of limited analytics 
uh, that you should join. Yep. Uh, actually, I had, I had one of the, the yeah, I use it all the time. Yeah, uh, one of the last episodes of my podcast actually had Circovitz on it, which is one of the progenitors of the website. Oh, cool. He was a great guy to talk to. Real fun. Uh, but seventeen lands is a heuristic that gives you a good spell land ratio. But uh, and I tend to agree with a lot of other contributors who say this as well. The seventeen lands is not necessarily for ratio; it's for color consideration. It is to make sure, especially when you're playing your two color combinations, that you hit all your colors because you need to have a certain number uh, of lands in order to play all your spells, right? And you're looking. And one thing that's cool about Road War Two is like when you open up your arena client, you're like, how many pips? I actually have in my deck, you have like a two-color deck, but it's like six and five of your pips. Like, oh, my modern commitments are easy. It can actually let you justify going down to 16, especially if you have, say, a Bushwhack or right. some Icker Wellsprings mm-hmm. or other cantrip-like effects. You know, it's it's okay to not play 17, especially if you draft things rightly. You get your your good mono ratios. You don't overextend by playing too many or by playing too many, like, two-pipped cards in both colors. You have a focus, you have a plan, you enact it, you're going to pay dividends. Discipline and research, I'm telling you. That's how you can really start to yep. gain your knowledge of just playing magic, but also constructing a deck. Well, it's the same with the, the hand smoother on Arena that they have, with like the best of ones. So it's like, it's like if you're playing monocolor, you know, you might be able to go down to like 15 lands and get away with it. So Especially with a low curve. Which, you know, incidentally, yeah, yep. incidentally, both Bro War and yeah, Q if right now. If you're more aggro, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I've, I found a little success with like a mono red deck in Bro War. Uh, I forget. I think it's Sardian Clifftop. I forget what it is. The zero four for one red in Bro War that if you have four more mountains, it starts to get plus X plus O or X the number of mountains you have. Like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, guy, yeah. That's a yeah. great example of a guy that can really justify a low curve. You'll play if like a few cantripping artifacts because everyone does, and then suddenly you got yourself some nice shebang bang with goblin uh, uh, blade runners, blast runners. All right. Well, this uh, brings to the next thing. How would you draft at home? So, say you don't want to go to a local game store, you don't want to play an arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. What would you do there? You know, there, there's a couple things. Uh, Particularly, like, if you're alone, it gets a little bit trickier. <laughs> it's very hard uh, if you're at home and you don't have anybody with you uh, to draft because it is naturally what's great about the format is it brings uh, a fixed group of people together. As I said at the top of the show, eight is the prototypical typical number of people in a draft. Uh, and back in the day, me and my friends uh, would gather up in basements and we would draft together. Like, eight of us, you buy a box a box gets you enough for also a little bit of prize support if you don't want to do that. Often people in smaller circles will actually redraft the rares that are drafted in there. Um, so, you know, a box will, will get you there and having a core of friends. Um, you can also get away with uh, six man pods. And then typically as well, if you never had a chance to, uh, you know, anyone listening or maybe uh, Corey and James, uh, doing team drafts is also a great amount of fun. Uh, in that situation, that's where, let's say you have six people, uh, you're doing a draft. That means, you know, three of you are on one team, three of you are on the other team. Uh, and at the end of actually drafting the decks, you guys go to uh, play against number of wins versus the other team. It's really cool when you kind of have a conglomerate of people all working towards the same goal, especially when it gets to the deck construction part and you've got, you know, a hive mind of two other people that are trying to help you put the decks together. It is one of the greatest joys yeah. that you can have is like when you get to, have a group of people on a team and you're drafting together. 
and if anybody ever wants to see one of the best team draft moments, uh, you should definitely search up uh, Luis Scott Vargas and Brian Kibler, uh, Avison Restored team draft. There's this hyper memeable moment. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but give it a Google. It's it's really like a perfect encapsulation of team drafting where one person's starting another person play and it's just like the opponent top decks, the absolute craziest top deck card of all time. It's like, ah, that thumbs the brakes right there. It's good to have people. <laughs> it's good to have people to share in your misery. I think that's what they call schadenfreude. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, we yes, we uh, do that quite a bit. We have uh, we'll go over to my buddy's house. We'll get a box and we'll all draft. Um, one of the another cool team draft thing is I did a uh, battle bond two headed giant draft one time. And that was interesting because you you take you know it's you and your partner. You each take a card mm-hmm. and you share the card pool, so you get two picks in a row. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, we did that once. I would I would love for them to come up with a battle bond too. Also, that whole plane. I forget the name of it. It was just super cool. It had my favorite doubling season of all time because it was literally like a stadium and it was like the stadium season. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I think I have the foil of that one. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really cool. <laughs> James coming with the light collection flex in the middle of the podcast. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He has he has lots of green things because that's what he plays. Yeah. Green. I'm I'm a I'm in the, or, or Selesnia, <laughs> but yeah, mostly a green player is what I what I what I do. It's good. Uh, and yeah, doubling season is usually kind of important for that those decks. <laughs> so it's good to have. <laughs> Another thing too, we we also have a. Uh... Go ahead. Another thing we brought up too, we've mentioned the word a few times in the aether, uh, which is cube. And a lot of people, we know we know it right now because it's currently live on Magic Arena, but that actually comes from homes. You know, you ask, how do you draft at home? Cube has an origin of playing things at home. This is where you have, say, a fixed collection of cards. Uh, usually it's like 465. You can flex the number higher or lower kind of based on the variance you want in the pool. Uh, but you uh, create a curated uh, group of cards that you will then draft from in the same uh, vein. You make 15 card packs out of this box of cards you usually garner. Sometimes the cubes have themes, uh, and then it's a great way of drafting without having to invest more in packs, and it's a way of taking maybe some of your favorite cards over time, your favorite archetypes, and translating it into a format that you can just customize and play for yourself. It is another one of my, my, my small joys that I get in life, besides being stomped on by green players like James and my commander pods. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's only when I pop off. Is, that's, that's what I was gonna say is yeah, I have a vintage cube at home for cube drafting. So like uh, yeah. we just proxied it off the computer. It's proxy because we're not the, rich. So fun to uh, <laughs> sit and draft, you know, and play and play games with power nine cards where it's not just like busted, you know. And you're like, Oh, I get to see how good this is in a limited format. You know what? There's there's great news though for you because magic has now officially justified proxying with their 30th anniversary product. So you are well in bounds, sir, to use your printer for as many <laughs> Black Lotus Eye as you like. Is it Black Lotus Eye? Black Lotuses? Yes. Black Lotus Eye? I, I don't know. What the <laughs> is. 
black lotuses. And uh, without the without like the what was it the three hundred dollar price tag for like four packs? Two hundred fifty for a single pack. <laughs> Sold in packs. Yeah, oh, that's what thousand, I mean. yeah. a thousand, for oh, so four. a thousand dollars. Four. My bad, I yeah. forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Corey and I went on a little tangent about that one like a month ago, or you know when that was announced. Ugh. That was a fun episode. <laughs> but I think they did give us, they did give content creators, you know, Watsy, the best gift of the holiday season, which is plenty of stuff to talk about when it comes to that product. Yeah, that is true. It's good when they create episodes <laughs> for you. Right. Yeah, we didn't have to. We didn't have to do much for them, and it's kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, so when you bring up cube drafting, obviously the strategies are a little bit different mm. when you're cube drafting versus when you're yeah uh, drafting a normal set. Yeah, very much so. Uh, thing you you prioritize different things uh, based on kind of how the cube is created, but there's a lot of universal truths between most cubes, things like fixing is probably one of the most important pieces of the pie. Just as we said before, when it comes to lands, 17 is not necessarily because of land to spell ratio, but rather making sure you hit your colors. Kind of amplify that by a large degree to cube uh, because you're going to, the more you take fixing, the more you can take your more powerful cards that end up, you know, based on the way the game has been created, end up being multiple colors or multiple pips of the same color. So amount of fixing, super important. Uh, having a plan, playing to that, uh, and knowing what your synergies are going to be, also really important. Uh, take, for example, right now in Cube, uh, there's a, there's a, right, the current Cube iteration has a couple universal truths, things that people love to do. Uh, you know, mono-red, mono-white, very strong. Uh, Green-red, base ramp strategies. Uh, Blue-based counterplay. Uh, and if you really want to be super shenanigans, play some alchemy cards and get power nine in your deck. And then equip in a reality chip and go wee. Uh, but I'm toying, you know, <laughs> I've been toying around recently with really trying to hone in on uh, the aristocrat strategy. Of course, this is akin to cards like Blood Artist, Yogmoth, uh, uh, and other you know small creatures that kind of drain Bastion of Remembrance. Uh, and when it comes to that kind of deck, you learn very quickly that you know taking a single piece of that pie is cool, but the, the thing is, in order for that deck to, to really, truly function, you need a good 10 to 12 of those cards all work together. Your Woast Riders to sacrifice your creatures, your Blood Artists and Bastion of Remembrances to get that life drain, to get the critical mass. So while they're playing on an axis, where they're playing big, explosive cards, you need to be playing on a different axis, and you got to get there, which is why I think decks like that can be kind of hard to construct, because you need to get all those cards opened and passed to you. Uh, but it, it, it's fun when it comes together. Uh, and a good example of this Aristocrat deck, too, is if you notice, I mentioned 10 to 12 different pieces. Well, that's a lot of different cards that are making up the larger puzzle, which means things like uh, single spot removal can be not as great as it is uh, in you know regular standard draft formats. Uh, you still want to play your cheap interaction, your unholy heat store, your go for the throat, right. need those. They're they're important because if you don't pack those, you know the mono, mono red, mono white decks are going to just stomp all over you. Uh, right, and it's it's the same. But there's a lot of like good rare cards in the set. So like you know you might remove their Thrag Tusk with your removal, but then they 
go and play another giant bomb on you, and you're like, oh, great. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. You have to make sure you, you save it for the, the worst of the threats. <laughs> well, that's a great example, too, because your removal, it's great, but a Thrag Tusk has the two things that makes your go for the throat really bad. It has an end-of-the-battlefield effect, and it has a dies effect. So many of the best cards in cube have those things attached to it. Or a static effect that as soon as it hits the battlefield, it does something. Uh, so when it comes to, say, you know, your uh, Patriarch Humiliations, your Go for the Throats, your Heartless Acts, they're important, you need them, but they're not always going to solve the full picture of it. Which is why, commonly in Cube, blue strategies with Counterspells can be quite strong, because you can answer them one for one, you can get your subsequent card draw off of different random things, uh, and that often gets you enough of that advantage to kind of push through for victory. Yep, yep. I sure? uh, I did a couple drafts of cube uh, on Arena recently. The I tried, so I did blue, green white tokens first. That was okay. I think I went like three three. And then I did uh, red white aggro last night, and I trophied with that. So I was mm, like, nice. but I had some crazy picks. Like it was like swift spear into like, and then I had like brimaz and like all this just like craziness. Like <laughs> so it's like all right, I have one, two, and three drops, and then pump spells. <laughs> Yeah, that's honestly decks like that usually do really well in draft mm-hmm. because they're just so hard to deal with usually. Yeah, because while while you're playing, you know, often two cards a turn, if your opponent's just trying to go singleton spot removal, well, you're they're going to probably be killing you before you have a chance to play most of your hand. Uh, so if you have, if you're like running, you know, things cost four, five, six, you want to find cards that can probably interact with multiple pieces. So even cards like say Elder Dragon War. Uh, it looks kind of innocuous, but it, you know it can deal two damage to everything, so it can stop the fast strategies. And then for more controlling matchups, you can loot away your hand on chapter two or make a dragon if you need to when you're playing the mid range. It's one of the more dynamic cards, I actually think, in the cube that I think is often uh, underlooked, but can do quite a bit. All right, well, let's do for some of uh, the advanced players here, let's do some of the current Brothers Wars archetypes here. What are the best ones, in your opinion, if you have to pick out these? Sure, the sure. list of 10 that we have here. Uh, I mean, I think, ironically, like the the, te- the the 10 two-color combinations, if I were to even say are any of them like the best, I actually would lean more towards the monocolored ones, personally. Uh, like mono black in corrupt effects and then a few sacrifice things like uh, power stone fracture you combine your Icar wellsprings the power you can get off of that is really great in fact i i'm one of the few people that will wave the flag of transmogrant's altar and uh and clay construct <laughs> it, it's just yeah i it's it, it really reminds me of old school uh limited formats for any other people out there uh recognizing like three costing art like artifact enchantment build arounds like say for example burning vengeance or something like that it really reminds me of that it makes Mm. me feel really happy uh to draft that uh but if we're looking at the two colors um i would say like your your best one almost like not close is probably black red uh because the two colors work really well together with what they're each are trying to do uh black is good at sacrificing red is good at the aggressive slant and then putting those two things together along with Junkyard Genius, which is the uncommon build around, it's it's really quite good. Uh, so looking at that, that's probably like at the top for me. Um, I am very partial to black green. Um, it 
also does a lot of good, uh, the good things that the uh, black strategies want to do. Uh, but combined with the green ramp that you get uh, from a lot of incidental power zone token creation and can allow you to play some larger things uh, and power that out. So it really gets you kind of those best of both world situations. Plus it's got that Skyfisher Spider. Again, one of the better uh, uncommon build arounds that I, I have really enjoyed. Uh, and the other one too that I think is really quite good. Uh, I'm going to put them kind of on parody. Uh, Blue-white, it... it it has the ability to blank your opponent's artifact removal, which a lot like playing to the meta, it it really there's a really a lot of like artifact and enchantment removal that's just kind of in ma- people's main decks. When you're playing things like uh, like the Phalanx for two, and you're cracking in for four damage, and they really don't have a way to answer it, you feel pretty good about that exchange. Uh, and then also it just instantly has a lot of flying. Like there's and flying is good in this format. There's a lot of board stalling that I found. Yeah. Uh, that happens if I feel like in a lot of uh, limiteds in, uh, in the past, like blue white feels good a lot of time because it does have a lot of like smaller flying creatures that are hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it tends to be. A, I mean, and pardon, you just fly over their defenses. Part, pardon the pun, but you're usually playing on a different axis, like when you're in the air. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, the other archetype I, I, I really like too is uh, is black white. Uh, I, I put that kind of on par with with uh, blue white. It's very quick. Uh, again, it has both like a really good artifact stuff. Uh, it has the ability to power out like small creatures, warlords, elite into a reconstruction off of say a scrapyard mutt is is very good and has this way of getting traction on the ground early that a lot of other decks can't answer. So th- those decks tend to be very good. M- the cool thing about Row War is that there are, I'd say, about ten to eleven really solid decks in the format uh, that can come out of drafting, and it's it's really nice. It's really cool to be able to play some monocolors along with your two color combinations. And there are a number of build arounds that work really well. Even like Mightstone's animation, the blue aura that mm-hmm. often gets overlooked. Uh, when you're playing, say, a Chromatic Star or an Icker Wellspring, and you you know go into that, it it really can be tangentially powerful, uh, and gets you just just a lot of card advantage. Uh, yeah, like the game the game is about small little increments that get to a large overall picture of what your deck is trying to do. Yeah, I've also had success with the the green white that uh, what is it the Ocean Dissident? Yes, you get that, mm. and then like you have like ten artifacts, and you get that. Just the one, the one, the green elf for its one drop lets you tap an artifact or creature for a man of any color. It allows oh, yeah. you to splash for the unearths of all of those one drop artifact creatures in the set. Sentinel Stewart yeah, is a surprise. Set. Yeah. The card. Yeah. <laughs> it helps that the format is, as you said before, uh, so aptly, Corey, uh, one that you need to impact the board early and basically every turn. And that is a card that can allow you to do it. And if you ever find a Howling Mine, you just feel like a champion because you get your own personal howling mind with a little Sentinel Stewart action. Feels so good. Yep. Step it down <laughs> so the opponent don't get it. <laughs> Classic old magic boomer That's templating. A good indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any last uh, comments to add there, James? Anybody? Um. I think, I mean, as I said, uh, 
Uh, you guys are kind of more of the uh, experts on this one. I'm, I'm not as big of a draft player personally, but um, the main thing is like if you are someone who is getting in a draft, uh, my advice is generally um, it is some it, it is kind of a do your homework kind of format. Um, it's a lot harder if you go in without knowing what's in the set because um, then you're just kind of flying blind and not really know what the hell's going on. <laughs> um, so it's definitely good to know at least uh, what the different like uh, archetypes are um, or even just what the cards are. Uh, and then you can kind of figure out what you're going and then, then when you get what your, your pool, you can figure out where to go from there. Um, mm. And then, yeah. Uh, try not to, you know, splash too wide. That's, that's kind of the other thing. Uh, if you can help it. Yeah. Well, it was great having you on. You're very, very informational. Hopefully everybody yeah, listening sure. is better at drafting after this. Uh, where can, people find you if they want to watch your content you know find me on anywhere uh typically twitter birds uh the twitches draft and draft Corey. think like a, a draft of magic and a draft of beer uh you can find me on the podcast outlets nice. right now the podcast is a bit on hiatus uh due to life things and uh my bear tender borak uh he had to go take care of his cubs back at home if you listen to the podcast you know exactly what i'm talking about uh but uh you know, we'll, 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 there surely will be a project coming out from the Unlucky Lounge verse at some point down the line. So feel free to follow me on the socials and come and join uh, the limited journey. And James, if I may, I, I, I would like to uh, say ditto to everything you said. But one thing I think that is so important about draft is that it truly is a format about connecting with people. It's about, you know, it's a format that literally starts you saying you need to find seven, seven other people to join in and have fun. So find your crew, uh, gather up and enjoy a format that encourages you to connect with other people. Uh, and if, you know, maybe you're in a new place, find your LGS, connect with them, make new friends through there. Uh, some of my favorite memories are through drafting. Uh, and, you know, I feel like I, I've made some of the best relationships in my life from there. So I encourage anyone out there. Uh, Arena is great. But go out and try to find your squad. It really is something magical when you can find people together to play with. For yeah, sure. Yes. Definitely. Yep. That's that you know, that was us growing up too. So <laughs> we've definitely been there. Well, I guess uh, that is about it. Um, thank you very much, sir, for joining us here. Um I guess that's uh, that's about the end of the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>